Well, as you're grabbing your seat, open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah and chapter 63. Isaiah 63, as we continue in our series this morning, just examining, looking at, being in awe of the Holy Spirit all throughout Scripture. Holy Spirit, we need help. We need help, Holy Spirit. Beloved, you've heard a lot of things this past week. Some external, some internal. A lot of thoughts. A lot of opinions. Maybe this past week, beloved, you've heard that God is keeping a running list of all of your sins. Or maybe you've heard this past week internally that God is an emotionless, standoffish, stoic father. Now, beloved, here, The word of the Lord from Isaiah chapter 63, beginning at verse 7. I will make known the Lord's faithful love and the Lord's praiseworthy acts because of all that the Lord has done for us. Even the many good things he has done for the house of Israel, which he did for them based on his compassion and the abundance of his faithful love. He said, they are indeed my people, children who will not be disloyal, and he became their savior. In all of their suffering, he suffered. And the angel of his presence saved them. He redeemed them because of his love and compassion. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of the past. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. So he became their enemy, and he fought against them. Then, then he remembered the days of past, the days of Moses and his people, Where is he who brought them out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put his Holy Spirit among this flock? He made his glorious strength available at the right hand of Moses, divided the water before them to make an eternal name for himself. And he led them through the depths like a horse in the wilderness so that they did not stumble. Like cattle, that go down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. You led your people this way to make a glorious name 
for yourself. Would you pray with me and ask for God's help this morning? Indeed, Lord, we need your help. We need your help, Lord, because so often we think too lowly of hearing from you. We need your help, O oh Lord, because throughout the week we have grown comfortable with the sound of our own voices. And we have forgotten what your voice sounds like. We need your help, O oh Lord, because if you were to count iniquities, who in this room could stand? But with you, there's forgiveness that you may be feared. Help us to fear you. This morning, we ask in Christ's name, amen. I remember, beloved, when Mandy and I first moved to South Bend, and, you know, about two years ago, we were going through uh, what they call church planter training. And we were figuring out how to, you know, plant a church and all that good stuff, and you know, I confess to the, the leaders of this church planning training that I have a problem. And my problem is I forget people's names the moment they say them. Anybody else have that problem? Like you, you talk to somebody, you meet somebody, you be like, hey, what's up, man? My name is Chris. And I will walk away and be like, what was his name again? Like I, I confess that to him and I'm, you know, the, the leader was so gracious and kind, and he was like, Stephen, man, you, you got to figure out a way to, <laughs> to remember people's names. So he was sending me books, and, and one of these books a psychologist wrote and explained why you and I have that problem. We have a problem of meeting people and remembering their names because, as she posits in the book, when we meet somebody, our nerves are involved. Our emotions are involved, like, who is this person? What are they going to think about me? Why am I wearing this? Why are they looking at me like that? All of those thoughts are sort of subconsciously rolling through our heads. And when our emotions are involved, our memory fades. When our emotions are high, we have a tendency to forget things. And that's just the case in everyday life. You're going through a scenario, emotions are involved, passion is involved, and so we forget quite quickly some of the foundational things we have learned about who God is. When emotions are involved, our memory fades. It's almost like when our heart is involved, our mind is now disconnected. It's a very human problem. And Isaiah wants to show us in Isaiah chapter 6 that this is not a divine problem. As a matter of fact, in Isaiah 63, he's going to outline for us that when God's emotions are involved, the Lord has a phenomenal divine capability of connecting his mind to his heart, and he remembers everything. So this morning, as we sort of work our way through Isaiah 
chapter 63. Let me give you a couple of points. And these points all fall under the category of God is all in. The total person of God is involved in the total person of the Christian life. God is not holding anything back from you and I. So in verses 7 through 9, we're going to discover that God has a heart for us. God's heart's involved. In verses 11 through 14, we're going to discover that God's mind is not disconnected when his heart is involved. But no, God's mind is for his people as well. But what if, man, what if God has the same problem you and I do? What if God's emotions are involved and he begins to forget us? He begins to lose sight of us. Isaiah is going to go through great pains to show us that that's not the case with our Lord. You ever been sitting in the class and you learn something and you're like, where am I ever going to use this at all? Pythagorean theorem, who uses that on a regular basis? Some of you are like, I do. I use it every day. Okay, good. Well, well done. Well done. Good for you. Good for you. I don't use it every day. But I do remember, it's funny because you're sitting in these classes and, and you're like learning these things and your mind is, is very unique in that it sort of stores it away back there. And you're like, I'm never going to use this thing. But all of a sudden when I was preparing this sermon, the Lord brought to mind something I learned years and years ago in a biology class that I said, I'm never going to use that. And what I thought I was never going to use, and I had to get my pronunciation correct, thank, thank you, Dr. Betsy, for correcting my pronunciation this morning. One of those things I thought I was never going to use is the vagus nerve. That is that nerve that connects the heart to the mind, the heart to the brain. That nerve that runs between those two in a lot of different areas as well, but it connects the heart to the brain. The reason why I bring that up, no, this is not a biology class. The reason why I bring that up is because Isaiah says the thing that connects God's heart to his mind is not our good deeds. The thing that connects God's heart to his mind is not our righteousness. As a matter of fact, in verse 10, the thing that connects God's heart to his mind is our rebellion. The vaguest nerve of, of the Godhead is when you and I attempt to run away from the Lord. That brings both his heart and his mind into play. So what God takes from his emotions to his memory, from his heart to his head, is our sin and rebellion. And in that sense, beloved, in sort of a beautifully divine way, God gives us a template on how to deal with covenant relationships. What happens when you don't feel like loving who you're supposed to love? You love them. This is the template that God gives us in Isaiah 63. In this sort of beautifully poetic way, Isaiah is asking us this question. 
What happens when God doesn't feel like loving us? He loves us anyway. What happens, beloved, when we give God every reason in the world to turn his back on us? He loves us anyway. Why? Because in the person of God, we're going to see in just a few moments, there is this glorious connection between the heart of God and the mind of God, and that connection is our rebellion. First, let's look at verses 7 through 9, God's heart for us. God's emotions are involved when he loves us, beloved. So many emotion-filled words in verses 7 through 9. In just two verses, there are 12 emotional words in verses 7 through 9. Let me highlight a couple of these words. The first word you'll see in in verse 7 is this word called faithful love. As a matter of fact, it appears twice in verse 7. Then again in verse 7, we have this word compassion. Then in verse 9, we have this word suffering. When, When we suffer, he suffers. Then we have another word entirely for love in verse 9. And then again in verse 9, we have this phrase that God lifted us and he carried us. All of these emotions. So, So hear me, beloved. God is not emotionless when it comes to dealing with his people. All of the divine emotions are at play because God is in a relationship with us. This relationship speaks to a personal God. He's not distant. He's not far off. He's right there with us, beloved. Look at verse 7. Twice in verse 7, it's mentioned this phrase, faithful love. In the original language in in Hebrew, verse 7 begins and ends with faithful love. What is the writer trying to communicate to us? That that's our life. Like our life begins and ends with the faithful love of God. It's, It's bookended. It is sandwiched in. Everything in our life is encompassed by the faithful love of God. If we are his children, we cannot get outside of his faithful love. Everything that happens on a regular basis happens inside of either after or before the faithful love of God. The Lord has sandwiched us in by his faithful love. But not like your normal everyday peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It's more like one of the greatest inventions ever created. This, in my humble opinion, whoever invented this, man, I don't know, Nobel Peace Prize, whatever they give to people who invent sandwiches like this, like, It's not like a messy peanut butter and jelly sandwich where, you know, you're eating and jelly's falling out and peanut butter's oozing all over your head. No, no, the Encrustable. It keeps keeps everything inside. 
So, beloved, you probably never heard a sermon where encrustable is used as an illustration. But that's the best thing I can think of to talk about the faithful love of God. We are inside of the faithful love of God. We are not oozing outside of the faithful love of God. Our sin is not going to pull us outside of the faithful love of God. No, the faithful love of God has uncrustable us. <laughs> y'all, listen, y'all going y'all gonna to eat it and y'all will never think about an uncrustable the same ever again in life. You're going to be eating and be like, man, this just reminds me of the faithful love of God. If that's the only thing you remember from this sermon, amen, take it home with you, use it, go to Walmart, buy it. What does, I got paid for that promo too, y'all know. I'm a tithe on it, don't worry about it. What does the faithful love of God look like? Let me just highlight one of the things that Isaiah says the faithful love of God looks like. Turn your attention to verse 9. It says, in all their suffering, he suffered. Angel of his presence saved them. He redeemed them because of his love and compassion. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of the past. All of verse 9, beloved, is this beautiful picture that Isaiah is painting of a parent being emotionally tied to their children in the midst of suffering. Your loved one is suffering, the first part of verse 9 says. As a result, God says he suffered. He goes and rescues them because of his love and compassion, the middle part of verse 9. And then because they are in the midst of suffering, what does God do? He picks them up and he carries them. Because they just can't find the strength to walk on their own. Last week we were in the house, and my youngest who's here with us this morning, I was standing by the stairs, and we live in an old home, so these stairs are, like, made of the original wood, and it's, like, this wood does not move. And all of a sudden, I look up, and my youngest is falling down the stairs. To be more accurate, he's sliding down the stairs on his stomach, and it wasn't intentional. He hit every single step. He didn't skip over one step. He hit boom, 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 boom. And as I watched that, you know, as a father, you know, if you ever seen somebody you love get hurt, it's more than just an observance. There's something inside of you that feels something of what they are experiencing. Maybe your heart drops. Maybe your emotions are tied to it. And then Simeon began to cry out. So what do I do? I, I run over to him out of love and compassion, and I pick him up, and I say, man, hey, are you okay? And he says, no. <laughs> he said, come on, Dad, did you just see me fall down the stairs? You know I ain't okay. <laughs> so what do I do? I, I carry him. A couple minutes later, put him on a counter, and I ask him, hey, are you okay? He says, no. So I carry him again. This is the picture, beloved, of what Isaiah is saying about who God is. Like, in our suffering... God is not a passive observer. God is not standing back merely looking at us. He is not unemotional. 
When it comes to our suffering, as a matter of fact, Isaiah says when the people of God suffer, God himself suffers. There is something in the nature of who God is that when we suffer, he sees it and he suffers as well. Beloved, if you are in the midst of suffering this morning and you are a child of God, don't you dare believe that God is on the throne room standing back, looking at you, observing, taking notes. He is in the middle of your suffering with you. He asks you, hey, hey, child, are you okay? You say, no, Lord, I'm not okay. Okay, I'll carry you for a while. Are you okay now? No, Lord, I'm not okay, and he carries you for a while. Some of us have been carried by the Lord for years, and that's okay. It's the kind of God we have. He carries us. He's involved. He's suffering in the midst of us. So, beloved, this is what I mean by being surrounded by the faithful love of God. This is what Isaiah is talking about. He's not passive. He's not emotionless. He's right there in the midst of it. Suffering. I know we we talk about, you know, the suffering servant that is Jesus Christ who took all our sin and pain upon himself and died upon that cross of Calvary. When was the last time you let your mind think about that that situation you're going through that is causing heartache and pain and suffering, when was the last time you thought God is experiencing this as well? Isaiah wants us to go there. God carries his people in the midst of their suffering. But then, beloved, unfortunately, in verse 10, there's a turning point. And that's that Vegas nerve. It's our rebellion. It's it's our sin. This, This word they in verse 10, it says, but they. This is very emphatic. It's like, like they of all people, they of all people rebelled against me. Listen, beloved, Isaiah is saying, I can see if God never did anything for you that you would rebel against him. But that is not your story. It's not your testimony. So he writes it almost in all capitals, they, you, me, of all people, after everything God has done for us, that we would turn our backs on him. Us, of all people, would rebel against God after we count the many ways that he has given to us. He goes a step further and he says, they grieve the Holy Spirit. Did you know that the Holy Spirit can be grieved? Did you know that the, you know, third person of the Trinity can can mourn when we sin? I know, you know, most of us have probably heard about, you know, when we sin, God becoming angry. Like like this, this judge who is just waiting to cast judgment upon us. 
And some of us have even heard that God is passive with our sin, like the, the cool parent who throws underage drinking parties for his, for his kids. Like God doesn't even care about our sin. But when was the last time you thought that this sin I am committing is causing the Holy Spirit to mourn? What does he mean when he says grieve? It means a crying out because of mental anguish or physical pain. It's it's a state of mourning. was the last time you were entering temptation and you thought, man, when I do this, the Holy Spirit is crying out. He is mourning because of this sin. You know, when I was in high school, high school was a rough time for me, spiritually. I was this rebellious Kid, and you know, in high school, I rarely, I rarely saw my dad cry. Rarely. Probably count on one hand the amount of times I saw my father cry. But I was going through a bad phase, you know, sneaking out the house, stealing my parents' car, getting arrested, spending half the day in jail. Yeah, there's a whole story that goes to that. Don't, don't look at me like that. This, this spiritual giant that you see before you has not always been like that. And if you want the rest of that story, oh, it's a good one. Take me to coffee, your treat, and I'll tell you the whole story. <laughs> but I was just going through this phase of just rebellion after rebellion, disobedience after disobedience. It was a long stretch. My parents tried everything to reel me back in. They couldn't do it. Now I remember after this long stretch, my father was sitting with me. He's a very passionate man. He's sitting with me, and I I will never forget this moment. Because in this moment, I saw something I rarely saw. My dad began to break down and cry. And in his tears, he asked me one simple question. He said, Stephen, when will you give your life fully to the Lord? And that broke me. Seeing that man cry over my sin, it broke me. And beloved, this is what Isaiah is saying. Christian, in the room, hear me. Are you not moved that the Holy Spirit is weeping over your sin? Does it do nothing to your soul that he's crying because you won't let that sin go? Can't you hear him crying out this morning, beloved Christian daughter, son, why won't you give your life fully to me? Why are you holding back? Do you not care? that the Holy Spirit is crying because of how you treat your spouse or talk to them. Does it not move you? Does it not move you that the Holy Spirit is crying out because of how you treat and talk to your parents? 
Does it not break you, beloved? That the Holy Spirit, Isaiah says, is crying out because your kids know more about this world and the people of this world than Christ and his church. Does it not move you? No one else knows. No one else knows, but the Holy Spirit is there with you in that darkness, and he is crying in the darkness because you have given yourself over wholly to that addiction or pornography. Does it not break you that he's crying for you right now? Does it not move you, beloved, that the Holy Spirit is crying because the only time he hears from you is when you want something? Does it not move you, saint, that the Holy Spirit right now is mourning and crying out with mental anguish because you are giving yourself wholly over to your retirement plans while your spiritual account is bankrupted? Does it not move you? No, beloved, God is not emotionally uninvolved with us. You cannot watch your child in the midst of a burning building and not cry out because they walked in there intentionally. Can't you hear him asking you this morning? Why won't you give your life fully to me? Why, why are you making all these excuses? Haven't you seen what the world has to offer and it keeps leaving you empty? Why do you keep pursuing it? No, beloved, the, the Holy Spirit, he, he's, he's right there. He's crying out on your behalf. That, that's the love of God for, for you. And man, the, the end of verse 10 is so relevant, it's scary. The end of verse 10 says, he, he grieved, we grieved the Holy Spirit, so he became their enemy and he fought against them. Like the Holy Spirit is mourning, but Isaiah gives us this warning, RCC. He gives us a warning that there is coming a time when the tears of the Holy Spirit will dry up and he will turn against you. Who wants to fight against the God of all creation? It's so real. It's relevant. Have you never been there? Where a situation has started off with sadness, but then you quickly go to anger. Started off weeping, but then you, you sort of withdrew to this disconnectedness. Have you never been there? I'm going to bring you all in for a moment. Mandy and I have been married 12 years plus, and, man, the Lord has used my wife more than anything else in my sanctification process. Somebody said, hallelujah. Yeah, y'all know. Y'all know. But the Lord is still using Mandy in my sanctification process. I don't know if y'all know this, but I, I, I am an introvert. I tend to go in 
when things happen, it tends to take me a long time to process certain situations. And so when emotions are high in marriage, I had this tendency, and it wasn't a tendency from years ago. This was a tendency from months ago. I had this tendency that Mandy and I would be passionately talking about something. Mandy and I would be sanctifying each other. And in me, in my stupidity, and in turning my back on the Lord, this is what I would do. I would just jump in the car, drive off, and leave. Not just jump in the car, drive off, and leave, but Mandy would call me and text me, and I would completely ignore her calls and texts. And when she would do this, it, it would be like at first with tears. Stephen, why aren't you answering the phone? Why aren't you answering my text? I did this quite a few times until the last time a few months ago where, where there was a shift in Mandy. And I got back home after my foolishness and pettiness. Gone hours. No response. And the last time I did this, Mandy simply looked at me and said, Stephen, I can't do this anymore. I can't live with you acting like this. <laughs> And she didn't say it with tears, beloved. Dead serious. And I said in my mind, uh-oh. The tears aren't gone. Now it's, it's, a, it's a shift. And that was the last time I did that based upon the Lord's grace. Maybe because, I don't know, gas prices are too high. And I don't... <laughs> maybe that has something to... Maybe that has... I can't be driving around for two hours, gas prices at $10? I can't do that. I got to stay in the house. I got to go to a different room now. I can't just do that. I can't get in the car. That's hype on my bike. If y'all see me on my bike riding around South Bend, just, just roll down the window and say, Stephen, go home, bro. Go home. Go. Stop playing and go home. Do what you got to do. But there's a shift. And, 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 and beloved, specifically like brothers in the room, this is not a marriage passage, but let me just draw one quick explanation. Uh, implication of that. It's not a marriage passage, but if, if you've noticed your, your, your spouse, your wife crying about something for, for months or for years, and then she stops crying about it, brothers, that should cause you to pause and say, Lord, bring about something in me. Ladies, your application is coming next week, so we'll see you next week. But that's just for the brothers <laughs> this morning. That's the transition that is happening. In verse 10, the, the Spirit has been crying out, why are you doing this? Why are you not giving your life fully to me? And then there's a shift that happens. Now the Lord becomes our enemy. Now we're fighting against him. So the question that Isaiah subtly asks is what happens now? I mean, what happens when the Spirit of God is all cried out? What happens now? Well, praise God, the passage doesn't end at verse 10. It goes on to verse 11 to God's mind for us. God's mind, Isaiah is going to show, is connected to his heart in that, in this poetic way in Isaiah, when his heart is no longer connected to us, his mind sort of kicks in because of this vagus nerve of our rebellion and our sin. 
Notice the Holy Spirit isn't crying anymore. His emotions have left. So what happens when God's emotions have left? Praise God, his mind kicks in and he begins to remember some things. What happens, beloved, when God doesn't feel like loving us anymore? What happens when we have done everything we could do to make God not love us anymore? Guess what? He still loves us. Why? Why does he still love us? Because God remembers. His mind kicks in. What does God remember? Well, Isaiah tells us he remembers his faithful acts towards his people. God's remembrance of his faithful acts in the past caused him to be faithful in the future. Man, that's a glorious cycle. That's a cycle I love to be like right in the middle of. Why is God faithful tomorrow? Because Isaiah says he was faithful yesterday. Why is God going to be faithful in the midst of my sin and rebellion? Because God remembered what he did for you yesterday. Remember back to verse 7, we are uncrustable in the faithful love of God. God surrounds us with his faithful love so much so that Isaiah sort of poetically shows when God's heart is not there, we still find ourselves in the midst of his faithful love because his mind kicks in and he remembers. Then we act a fool. Again, God is like, I'm done with them. And then he remembers. And we act a fool. God remembers. We act a fool. He remembers. So he loves us forevermore. This is why the writer in Hebrews picks up on this point in Hebrews 8, 12, 4. I will forgive their wrongdoing. And I will never again remember their sin. Man, this is one of the most beautiful passages in all of Scripture. That God chooses not to remember our sin. So if God doesn't remember our sin, what does he remember? If I sin at noon on June 12th, what does God remember about that date and time? If I leave our service and go sin, what does God remember about that moment in which I sin? Well, the writer of Hebrews and writer of all the scripture says he does not remember our sin. He remembers his faithfulness in the midst of that sin. He remembers giving me his Holy Spirit, verse 11. He remembers giving me his strength, verse 12. He remembers leading me through the valley and the mountaintops as we sang about verse 13 and verse 14. God's memory of our sin, beloved, get this, is crowded out by his faithfulness towards us. I'll say this, I'll try to be as reverent as possible when I say this. God has a memory problem when it comes to our sin. God's memory is always affected when our sin is involved. Why? Because of his faithfulness to us. God could never be called to the witness stand. First of all, who would call God to the witness stand? 
God can never be called to the witness stand because if they say, hey, state your name, well, I'm God of the universe. Do you remember God of the universe when Stephen sinned on June 12th at noon? Man, in the most reverent way possible, God would be the worst witness. Because he would say, no, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't remember that sin. What do you mean, God of the universe? Aren't you all-knowing? Don't you know everything? Aren't you everywhere? Why don't you remember when Stephen sinned June 12th at noon? You hear the adversary talking. You hear the writer of Scripture saying, who can bring a charge against God's elect? Now, I don't remember that saying, well, tell us, God of the universe, what do you remember about June 12th at noon? Well, I remember saving Stephen from himself. (laughs) I remember not letting Stephen get too far gone. I remember keeping him at noon. I remember showering him with blessings. I remember putting air in his lungs at noon. I remember putting people around him to draw him back at noon. I remember my love and compassion for him at noon. Beloved, we have to get this. We have a better memory of our sin than God does. And we bring about so much guilt and shame because we have a running list and we're going to the throne room of God as if God has that same list. He does not. If we are his children, he remembers our sin no more. Love and compassion surrounded by. Why does God do this? Well, Isaiah says because he loves us. But don't miss the second part of what Isaiah is saying in Isaiah 63. Not only does he love us, but notice the end of verse 12 and verse 14. God does this, get this, to make a great name for himself. The greatness of God's name, hear me, RCC, is eternally connected to how his people are doing. God has placed himself under this evaluation. How will the world know I am great by how I love and treat my children? Why is God doing all these wonderful acts to us to make a great name for himself? God has created this pass-fail exam for himself. If we are doing great, God passes. If we are abandoned, which will never be, fails. So here's the reverse thinking of the kingdom, RCC. Here it is. When God's name is exalted, we'll be all right. But if we choose to exalt our own name, we're in trouble. When God's name is lifted high, we'll we'll be okay. But if we lift high our own name, we will be humbled. This is why, beloved, in every service, what do we do? It is all to the glory of God. Because if he makes a great name for himself, guess what? We're part of that equation. 
If his name is exalted, if we glorify his name, we're going to be okay. So in light of all that, Redemption City Church, let's stand. And let's exalt and glorify the name of our Lord.